Hello everyone, welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Mystery Philosophy Theater 9000. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Today the film we'll be looking at is Captain America Civil War, with a clip that breaks new ground for the Avengers series in the form of philosophical reflection. While audiences watch Marvel movies for the rollicking action and depth of intertwined stories, Civil War adds a new dimension by forcing the Avengers to examine the consequences of their actions. If you'd like to watch the video of this episode, I'll post it on my YouTube and link to it in the show notes. And if you'd rather listen, then just sit back and enjoy. All right, so we're our second installment of our uh, video podcast. We're looking at Captain America Civil War to set the scene a little bit. Um, when we jump into it, we're going to flash to a different um, clip where there, there's already some discussion going on. So I didn't want to miss the, the beginning of that. But um, basically, uh, the video, the movie starts in typical uh, Marvel fashion. Um, there's a bad guy. Uh, he's, he's, has a, a, he's hatching a plan. Um, the Avengers are, you know, chasing him in, in car chases through the city. There's gunfights, there's explosions, the whole works. Um, you know, it's it's 21st century uh, Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote <laughs> <laughs> stuff. And um, this is, you know, up to this point in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's um, nothing anybody would batten an eye at, right? That's, that's pretty atypical for the start of a movie. Um, and, and people love it. You know, special effects are great. And um, seeing, seeing them get to work is, is awesome. But uh, as, as the movie goes on, something different happens from the other films where, you know, after that first action scene where they building gets blown up, they, you know, they, all, the, all the works. Inadvertently, um, yeah, something that right. they hadn't intended to happen. Right. This is the way where you find out, oh, just because you're intending to do good, it doesn't necessarily happen. Yes. And that it begins with that. That's really cool. Right, right, exactly. So... You know, they, in neutralizing the bad guys, there's a lot of collateral damage. And um, the world governments come to him and say, listen, guys, this is like the fourth or fifth time you've leveled a city trying to save the world. Like, you can't be doing that anymore. So we want you to have some sort of oversight. Um, here's these Sokovia Accords. Uh, we want to have some say in the actions that you're taking before you take them and end up you know, killing innocent people or destroying major infrastructure, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the Avengers, um, in seeing this accord, they're divided about it. You know, some of them say, hey, you know what? It might be a good idea to have some oversight. Some of them think, no, like, you, you know, that if we put our fate in somebody else's hands, um, it can only lead to, to disaster. So that's sort of the background. And, um, you know, we'll... We'll jump into the into the scene. Yeah. yeah. Just as soon as I find where I put the remote. Okay. Secretary Ross has a Congressional Medal of Honor, which is one more than you have. So let's say we agree to this thing. How long is it going to be before they lowjack us like a bunch of common criminals? 117 countries want to sign this. 117, Sam, and you're just like, no, that's cool. We got How it. long are you going to play both sides? I have an equation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So right off the bat, um, Colonel Rhodes and Sam are, are arguing. And what they're arguing about is, is sort of distrust in 
letting the government control um, their actions, which is interesting, right? Because both of these guys are African-American men who are in the military. Yeah. And so I think that a lot of times in, in real life, right, we see this sort of, I think there's this um, temptation to... Assume that one group of people believes exactly the same. Right. And especially a group like the military where, you know, yeah. okay, everybody's wearing the same uniform. Everybody's gone through a lot of the same things. Um, so they're, they're automatons, right? You're like, okay, every, every military person is a blue collar, conservative, you know, all these different right, right, right. whatever attributes you want to give them. Um, and the fact is, I mean, from being in the military, I know that that's not true. And especially when you have people here, you know, um, a lot of people might not be familiar with military ranks, but I mean, Rhodes is a colonel. That's a very high rank. It's a rank where he, he probably has a master's degree. Um, you know, his, his background in life has probably taken a much different path from Sam's as we've looked at the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and these sorts of things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So despite the similarities in the characters, um, their backgrounds and their thought processes on things are obviously quite different. And, and as I, you know, we, we've, we've noticed this, but we have a, a triumvirate here. We have a triangle of three military guys. The only, I think I'm accurate in saying this for the Avengers at this point, the only three military people in the organization. So Captain America from a different era uh, but he was answering to the government from the very start. He volunteered to be a super soldier for the United States military, right? right? And and the Allies, and 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 he's the one sitting reading through this tome, this this thick volume of of accords. And Stark is sitting on the the couch, holding his poor head, having a headache, rolling his eyes like the like the spoiled child he always is. Uh, Steve is reading. The thing, the and the other guys are debating, but they they're three military people, but they don't even all three of them don't have exactly the same ideas. Right. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting thing to point out, right? Is you see Steve reading through the accords, and you can see how thick the thing is, and so you know that that doesn't just have two sentences saying, uh, you know, the world governments <laughs> want to manage the Avengers. No, like there's there's a lot that's in this, and we know this from modern legislation in real life right there's there's no um any sort of legislation encompasses a large number of changes right and it raises the question how many of these avengers have read the accords how much of it have they read how much of it do they understand mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's a, an excellent point because just because they're avengers doesn't mean they're all brilliant mm. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> like stark is, is scientifically Brilliant and 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 it doesn't. It, they're smart people, but it, but they're not necessarily going to like any group of us. It takes a lot of people with a lot of viewpoints to try to figure something out, and and we can't default to oh well they're super in every way because not necessarily. Right, and there's and there's a difference between reading a a scientific white paper and a piece of legislation, right? right? Exactly. And so, yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, if you think about it, there's a good chance Captain America here only has a high school education, whereas Colonel Rhodes probably has a master's degree in something, yeah. you know? Yeah. And and has been involved in politics his whole life and these sorts of things. So, yeah, who who would be qualified to actually interpret this this document? Plus, um, we think about, if, if we put it other, you know, you just gave me another thought. If, if we think about the storyline, Captain America, you know, he, he was frozen 
he was awakened. Uh, Nick Fury t t telling him uh, things. Uh, but by this storyline here, we're maybe he's a year out from having awakened. So as far as he knew, the world, World War II ended a year ago, even though it ended decades and decades ago. So you can't, the character can't help it. He's trying to catch up. But all of that mindset has got to be in there too. Yeah, yeah. From his point of view, it's like... He could be grandfather or great-grandfather to these guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a fascinating perspective. All right. Oh, this will clear it up. <laughs> in the eight years since Mr. Stark announced himself as Iron Man, the number of known enhanced persons has grown exponentially. And during the same period, the number of potentially world-ending events has risen at a commensurate rate. These things are fault? I'm saying there may be a causality. Our very strength invites challenge. Challenge incites conflict. And conflict? breeds catastrophe, oversight. Oversight is not an idea that can be dismissed out of hand. Boom. So, so Vision comes in and he almost has a sort of Socratic dialogue, right? He, he does. says, so, you know, what happens when there's power? What happens when there's this? What happens when there's a catastrophe? And there's this sort of causal chain, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's taking this this logical approach to saying, um, you know, we've been operating under this paradigm that there's been bad guys out there and that superheroes have arisen to protect the world. Yeah. But what if the paradigm is actually that superheroes arose and then that bad people arose to challenge that power and to attempt to establish their own um, autonomy over world events yeah yeah it, it's it's that's a it's exactly it it is socratic it is suggestive of a causality and vision's not saying that's 100 percent absolute he's saying but we need to think about this yeah and you know essentially what he's saying he's he's opening up for sort of the first time the idea that maybe these this group of superhuman people have biases that are creating a, a blind spot in their decision-making process. Yeah. And that's a very powerful statement and something that's been examined in, in a lot of pop culture recently. Um, there's, there's a ton of TV shows and movies out there about, well, what happens if superheroes were bad? Yes. You know, or what happens to these sorts of things? And it's, it's, a, it's a powerful paradigm and it's also, um, you know, interesting to, to consider. It is. And so in Vision's sort of view, um, what he's saying is, is, is that Pandora's box is already opened, right? So Pandora's box, you know, Pandora opens this thing, evil escapes into the world. You can't put the evil back Yeah, the only thing that, that uh, is still available is hope right. yeah. <laughs> with Pandora. So, yeah, it, and again, he's not, he's, he's asserting a kind of calmness that he's not seeing in his colleagues, but, but he's a synthesoid. He has a, an android mind, and so we're drawing on the strength of that. So we essentially have partial technology talking to people who have, in some way or other, some of them, not all of them, been enhanced by technology. 
and who have made choices that have led to technological uh, destructiveness. So there's a whole tech thing going on in here that's, that's unspoken. But, you know, Stark with, with his armor and, you know, well, Sam with his wing, his, his falcon wings and, and Rhodey with his Iron Man armor that he took and the government modified to make, uh, what's the name of the, the character? Uh, War Machine. War Machine. And, and, and the Scarlet Witch is certainly the supernatural, so we're not going to say technological with that. But uh, Black Widow, extremely well trained gymnastically and in fighting and, and so on. We saw a lot of that in her movie later on. But but she still has technology to zap people. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the technology part of it, that is kind of the, the evil in Pandora's box almost, right? So, because what happened is Vision saying, once you, once Stark made the armor, right? Once yeah. that technology got out of the box, and then you had the first Avengers movie happen in New York City, and you started seeing these aliens with advanced technology coming from space, right? Vision's sort of viewpoint is, listen, now that these people know we have this power, and they know where we are, they're going to keep coming, right? And we need to have some sort of plan. Somebody has to have some sort of plan of what we're going to do the next time it happens. And that's when he says, that's why oversight's a good thing, right? Because we need to have a plan. We need to have somebody who's thinking about these things ahead of time rather than us as a group just being reactionary to whatever yes, is going yes, on. Yes, yes, that's, that's the crux of it. Tony, you're being uncharacteristically non-hyperverbal. It's because he's already made up his mind. Well, you know, he's so long. <laughs> so now what we're seeing is is dissonance within within the group, right? So Rhodey and Sam, they were having a heated debate, but they were discussing the merits of of these sort of ideals. What we're seeing here is um, Natasha attempting to draw Tony in with sort of a, a, a bit a of a jab. personal personal <laughs> jab. And Captain America just automatically assuming that Tony has made up his mind that he's going to be on the opposing side. And Tony sarcastically acknowledging um, Steve's viewpoint. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about that, right, is that Tony and, and Captain America, these guys are the leaders of the two separate sides in the Civil War movement. Um, but both of them, especially as we'll see as the discussion progresses, both of them appear to have their minds made up uh, already at this point. Yes, they, they seemingly do. They are, it's, uh, if not polar opposition, extreme opposition to each other with a very strong uh, one might say strident position. Right. And what's interesting about that is we see their followers actually debating mm -hmm. the merits of each side and, and suggesting compromises and these sorts of things. But the two leaders are, are standing their ground with what they believe. Mm. Um, and that sort of is a reflection of, of politics in real life, right? You see politicians and, and they'll take a stand for something. And very rarely do you see a, a politician, um, you know, say, well, you know, this idea also has merits, so we'll try to compromise and, and incorporate the ideas of it. At least not in modern times. It's not something you see very often. Mm -hmm. But regular people on the streets like you and I, that's that's what you do. If you walk into a coffee shop or a grocery store or something, you'll hear people talking about these ideas. And, you know, lots of times if a good discussion is happening, they're talking about 
the merits of them or the, the dismerits or where things should be compromised or their own ideas of what might be a better alternative. And I, and I, I would hope that that happens. I haven't seen that happen as much lately as I would like to see it happen. Uh, and but that is going to be the place where it does happen. It has to happen in coffee shops and 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 old guys and gals having to, uh, coffee in a local deli or what have you. It's it's or uh, I I got a, a, a met a new doctor yesterday. I started to practice with this new doctor, young woman, uh, very interesting philosophically. She's going to listen to the podcast. Uh, and, and she insists that you need to have all the data about your patient and listen to your patient and talk. So she took an hour to talk to me. I've never had a doctor take an hour to talk to me about just to get to know you, right? But that's what this is about. Not, not taking positions automatically, but saying, let's try to figure out what this is about. And surely Captain America reading this thing ought to have some input line by line. I, I really would have liked to see that, but that, right. that, that turns into a classroom and not a movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm nursing an electromagnetic headache. That's what's going on, Cap. just pain. It's discomfort. Who's putting coffee grounds in the disposal? Am I running bed and breakfast for biker gang? <laughs> so, Tony gets up and he... he he sort of deflects, right? He's he's he takes the attention off this bigger issue for a moment, and he's letting his frustration out on on little things. Um, but also in there, and, and we're going to see in a minute here, right? When Steve says he's already made up his mind, he rolls his eyes and says, "Oh, you know me so well." Right. And then he gets up here and he basically says, "No, I just got a headache, you know, from from you know what we were just doing. I, you know, that's it. I'm just in discomfort." But what we're going to see is he actually. In, in a couple of seconds here, it says there is no decision-making process, right? So he's already made up his mind. And again, it comes back to that question, right? How much of this has he read? How much of it does he understand, um, you know, before taking a, a position on something? Or how much of it just has to do with the next part of the clip we're going to watch? Well, I, I, think, I think the latter, because we know, those who have watched the beginning of this film know, that, among other things, the the responsibility for these the carnage has fallen onto Stark as a as a person in the public more than the rest. Hmm. Uh, Captain America has a he's Captain America kind of glow still, uh, not completely, but 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 some Stark has the oh eccentric, rich, sarcastic, smarmy billionaire. Former weapons maker. Yeah, there's there's um, so a lot. It's going to feel that weight. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of context and history to this that's playing into it. Like you said, I mean, Stark was was essentially reviled before he was Iron Man for being you know a weapons trader, right? right. And like you said, Captain America, he's he almost has this uh, shroud around him, you know, not only because he was gone for you know, 80 years or whatever. So again, there's that feeling of that, the bygone era, the good old days, the, this sort yes. of thing, you know, yes. when it, it, there was ethical questions of their own in, in the creation of a know. very different context and, and Captain America. Also, if we think of that, that fusion of the past and the present in his life, almost instantaneous, 
Tony Stark's dad was the one who created Captain America. So he's a guy who created a superhero to go out and do things that other people couldn't do. He's got to have that in his head when he's talking to the kid, Stark. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. How can, how can you be essentially 80 or 90 years old, whatever Cap is, even though you look <laughs> like you're 30-something, and not look at somebody else and think of them as young? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Charles Spencer, by the way. He's a great kid. Computer engineering degree, 3.6 GPA. Had a floor level gig, an Intel plan for the fall. But first, he wanted to put a few miles on his soul before he parked it behind a desk, see the world, maybe be a service. Charlie didn't want to go to Vegas or Fort Lauderdale, which is what I would do. He didn't go to Paris or Amsterdam. Sounds fun. He decided to spend his summer building sustainable housing for the poor guess where, Sokovia. He wanted to make a difference, I suppose. I mean, we won't know because we dropped the building on him while we were kicking ass. So, this this is a really interesting philosophical thing, right? Because up until this point, they've been talking about it in either an abstract way or in how it affects them as a group. Mm -hmm. Tony brings in a different element where now he's talking about how it affects somebody who who they died, who you didn't you didn't see on film, you know, no. the, you know, you didn't none of this happened. This is just all stuff that happens in the background. Like I said, this this has happened in every Avengers fight scene. Right. But you don't it's not the focal point. Surely there was death and a lot of hospitalization by people who had things falling on them because the Avengers were battling these creatures in New York. Yes. And interestingly, Stark wouldn't have given this a thought until the mother of this young man earlier in the movie approaches him, desperately uh, uh, approaches him. So it's not like he arrived at that thinking about it himself. He didn't. He's always thinking the big picture. She had to do that, which, which triggered something, which was a causality of its own. Uh, so yeah, I think it was, it was brilliant to put this in. And it raises... It raises the question, right? So, and that's why reality is so much more complicated than than cinema, right? It's because um, they, he could have arrived at this a different way too, which would have been very likely to happen in a real scenario, right? Let's say the Avengers are protecting New York City, right, from the alien invasion. Yeah. Well, what about if you know you see a taxi cab getting thrown at a mother and her kid, and the Hulk or Tony or name your superhero? dives in and catches the taxi, they're a second or two too late, right? Even something that, that would be enough, right? If For a real person to start thinking, wait, what am I doing here? You exactly. know, like, who, who am I to be, to, you know, to be thinking, doing you, this sort You of said when we talked about the other uh, piece with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke, I, I, I loved this, you, you pointed out, you know, in any given day, if I'd, if I'd been attacked and knocked out, that would have been enough for one day. But then we've got all these other things going on in the same day. And that's, prob that's partly what this, this is, is evocative of, which is the complexity of modern life. No, we're not throwing cars around. We're not saving you know, those kind of things. But, but yet, we, we don't just get to process one thing 
before we go on to the next thing. None of us does. At work, you've got things flying at you all the time as I guess, as a grandfather and I'm trying to do other kinds of things. We all have this, it's not multitasking, it's an overused word and it's, it doesn't really mean much to me anymore. It's been because it's overwrought. We are beset by many things simultaneously. And we have either to find our way through them the best that we can as human beings or else we get paralyzed. Yeah, we talked about it in the past. I can't remember what episode it was on the podcast, but we talked about um, essentially how in novels or movies or these sorts of things, you see a Campbellian story arc. Um, but in real life, all of us have several Campbellian story arcs. At, various, arc. pl pl so, at various places. <laughs> so, yes, I'm, I'm definitely the hero in many of my stories. But in some stories, I'm the villain. In some stories, I'm the wise guiding figure. In some stories, I'm, you know, the the friendly rogue, you know, that, that's in, you know, there's, yes, 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 in all of these, you know, that's the way life is, right? It's not this clear cut black and white um, story arc, but all of us have several stories going on in which we're playing multiple parts. And, um, and the rhetoric of what he says, of what Stark says in this, it, when he uses the word serve, no, he wanted to serve. Well, that's what the Avengers are trying to do too, but how does one best serve is the implication of that little, you know, the word doesn't keep getting used in the dialogue, but, but they planted it there. Yeah. And, and we see in the later, in the later Iron Man movies, right. That Tony is, is, um, in, in the throes of PTSD right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that idea, and you can even sort of see it here, you know, I'm certain he's thinking about, you know, how his service, you know, involves buildings being dropped on people and cities being leveled and a, a loss of life and these technological errors that create supervillains. Whereas this kid was just going to build sustainable housing, right? Yeah. Find places for people to live, find food for them to eat, create a better life for people. You know, yeah. one is, is very constructive and one's destructive. And, um, but he's saying this is as important as what we are doing. That's what I liked about it. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so it's not superheroes as gods, not superheroes as better than everybody else. Uh, superheroes as complicated. And, 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 and see, you just said this and brings up something else I hadn't thought about before. So Sam, when we first encounter him, is somebody who works with soldiers with PTSD. Hmm. And this is where how he starts his conversation with Cap. Uh, in later in the in the second Infinity War movie, Captain America is the guy who's sitting with a support group. We never get the background on how that happens, but here he is talking to ordinary people, trying to help them figure out what happened after this catastrophe. So this scene, of, and and the and the and the one in the previous uh, Captain America movie. No, it's not the previous. Is it this one? This is one where he, where he meets Sam. Yeah, I, I guess it's uh, it, it's the one with, with yeah, the, the Winter Soldier. The I Winter think. Soldier. Yeah. That was it. And and so they they launch this rippling, quiet discussion. That, as you say, you can miss it in all the mayhem. You can just go and eat the popcorn up. I love popcorn, but you can go and eat the popcorn up and say, ah, well, it was a good movie, wasn't it? Yeah, what? Well, yeah, what was good about it? Well, you know, it's a lot of fun. Or you can say, look at all the stuff that's in here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, that, that evolution right there from Captain America being in a support group to leading a support group, right? And 
you know the evolution of his character there and versus the evolution of tony's character right in, mm-hmm. in iron man coming out real bombastic real uh you know carefree and then sort of through the his experiences devolving into this you know um really anxious you know angry person right yeah. right yeah it's, it, there's some some character uh some character growth there There's no decision-making process here. We need to be put in check. Whatever form that takes, I'm game. If we can't accept limitations, we're boundaryless. We're no better you see that? than the bad guys. What Vision's eyes did in that? No, I missed it. Vision, listening to Stark say that, you can see a sadness. That we need to be put in check. His 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 eyes are going down because that's not what he was saying. Hmm. Stark is being overwrought and um, authoritarian vision is saying oversight stark is saying we need to be put in check put in check sounds a lot more stern and rigid than oversight yeah and i had that exact same reaction i didn't see vision but i had that same reaction when i was watching the clip um preparing for the show there's something about that that phrase right as soon as he says be put in check you know that that simple phrase that little bit of language is what's going to essentially tear the group apart it's what's going to be it's what's going to be divisive by saying there is no decision making process therefore i'm not inviting discussion which is something reflective in our own culture now and and essentially what stark is really saying and isn't facing it himself is i need to be put in check I created Ultron. I was going to make a decision for the whole planet to have this iron force that would, would keep Thanos-like creatures away. He didn't consult any of the rest of them about that. There was no decision-making process. He co-opted Banner and said, let's make this thing. Right. So it's sort of a projection on himself, but the way it's coming across is Steve is now, he's seeing that like it's, it's reaffirming his assumptions about Tony, right? Yeah. Oh, there's no decision-making process. You know, we need to be put in check. Yeah, Tony already had his mind made up. He already, and then you know that's going to harden him against of hearing course. the other the other side of the of the argument. Yep. Tony, someone dies on your watch. You don't give up. Who said we're giving up? We are for not taking responsibility for our actions. This document just shifts the blame. So, so there we go. Steve, he he does have an attempt. A conversation here with Tony, right? Mm-hmm. But again, he, even with a less aggressive lang, you know, a less aggressive tone, some of the language is still demonstrating that he's sticking one position, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's considering the loss of autonomy, giving up, right? And giving up is is strong language, right? You you hear that? <laughs> I mean, it's essentially, it you know, what what do you think that that's evoking in Tony? Probably. Um, it, it's almost essentially calling him a coward, right? Saying, oh, you know, you're, you're planning on giving up. Yeah. And, you know, his his view is that we're, we're already taking responsibility for our actions. The Accord is just, is just shifting the blame. Do you think that's true? Um, I think it could be, because if you're going to have um, Secretary Ross and whatever council internationally uh, says where these people go and what they do, then they are sanctioning actions and therefore 
that would imply that the, the committee or whatever it is uh, is saying, okay, we gave our blessing to this, so we have to own it together. But of course, a committee can't own something the way an individual can. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I think that that might be what Steve is saying, right? When he says, well, we're already taking responsibility for our actions. Well, how? How are you taking responsibility for your actions? So what? What is the diff? If if having the oversight is just shifting the blame, then I think what Steve is saying is we're taking responsibility for the actions morally. By by know? doing by doing what we're doing right now for Steve, this is enough. For Steve, mm -hmm. this is this conversation. We have to not just leap. We have to, but we have to be able to be independent to be able to say, look, there's a problem here. This committee isn't going to get to this problem for months. They may not even see the problem, may not acknowledge the problem, but we know this supervillain is over here doing this. Hmm. We need to have a discussion about what we do. I think that's what he's implying, but then we're going to go out and do it. Also, you know, we've, we've also, we have to keep in mind that in the story arc, Steve, Captain America, has just come off an experience uh, wherein the very organization that helped revive him, S.H.I.E.L.D., for which he was working, betrayed him, hadn't told him what was going on, were using him, had co-opted him. <laughs> and and I, I mean, that's got to be in his head, too. No, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's a really, it's a, it's a beautiful example of what's been going on in the past movies right because like you said tony was going out to do this iron force thing he's he's taken all of this kind of individual initiative with no oversight and it seems like at every turn his plans were either foiled or actually turned into something bad against him and so he what he's saying is listen we can't trust individual responsibility somebody has to be there that's unbiased that's going to say this is something we need to do whereas steve is saying Listen, you know, if we create this sort of thing, like you said, Hydra was running, was running Shield, right? Look at they—they they essentially had oversight. You know, they—they were they the ones that brought us together, and they were the bad guys. You know, yeah. so it, it is an interesting um, it paradox. Is a paradox. Yeah. See that. That is dangerously arrogant. This is the United Nations we're talking about. It's not the World Security Council. It's not Shield. It's not Hydra. No, but it. So right there again, we have we have Colonel Rhodes. So very high-ranking military member, part of uh, a structured organization, structured government organization. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody who, you know, it, we can assume his experience with the military has been a positive one, right? I mean, look at him, he's a war machine, right? He's, right. He flew fighter jets, he did these things, he, he progressed through the ranks, he did this. Um, and, you know, what he's saying is, listen, um, you know, if you're saying that this individual responsibility is enough, like, that's pretty arrogant because, you know, any of these other organizations um, have committees of people deciding what's good. But this isn't just another organization. This is 117 countries saying that this needs right. to happen. And he's differentiating the United Nations from S.H.I.E.L.D., one organization like CIA or FBI or something, or, or HYDRA or some mm -hmm. evil group. Yeah. What are the chances that 117 countries are all, you know, in league with, with the bad guys? Probably not. Probably, probably not great. By people with agendas, and agendas change. That's good. That's why I'm here. When I realized what my weapons were capable of in the wrong hands, Shut it down, stop manufacturing. 
So again, right here, here we go. There's uh, there's more distrust, right? Steve is saying that, you know, if, if we hand over power to people, people have agendas, right? Yeah. Which is an interesting take, right? Because again, a lot of the discussion that's happened so far is that attempt to break through the current thought paradigm to introduce the idea that maybe we have biases maybe we have blind spots mm -hmm. steve still doesn't seem to be accepting that <laughs> nope steve see we're the super guys and we have to maintain that oversight ourselves we have to think hard morally we have to have the right steve is is the duty guy steve is the deontological fellow your duty is to do this if you have the power to do it. Your duty is to do the moral thing with the power that you that you have. And if it goes south, you tried, but the point is it's right because it was your duty to do so. And 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 Stark is the consequentialist. Yeah, we, we were trying to do the right thing, but it didn't turn out right. So it was wrong. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, bring up Stark's Stark's whole history, right? He's saying, yeah, the, Having people with agendas is good because they showed me that something was wrong and I and I shut it down, right? But there's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a little overly simplistic. <laughs> I shut it down, but then I built something else. And then we all had to shut it down. And that's what led to this in the first Right, right. <laughs> Chose to do that. If we sign this, we surrender our right to choose. Yeah, I like that. But if this panel sends us somewhere we don't think we should go? What if there's somewhere we need to go and they don't let us? We may not be perfect. The safest hands are still our own if we don't do this now. It's going to be done to us later. There's a lot in that little little clip there. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, and especially at the beginning of it, you know, Steve talking about forfeiting your the right to choose and do all this different stuff, um, which, you know, is something that people are always, always struggling with, right? Anytime, that's... There's an intrinsic struggle, right, between between government and individualism, yep. right? And I think that's always been the case ever since the beginning of time, right? Whatever the first government organization was, I'm sure somebody said, hey, listen, we should invent this rule in order to help the survival of the group. And somebody said, no, like, you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't limit my behavior in that way, right? And, of course, that's just been the, the trope of, of modern governments for, you know, you know, ever really ever since, um, well, it goes back before the United States, you know, probably to the, the Magna Carta, really. Um, uh, at, least. Yeah, at least. At least the past 800 years, that's been the discussion, right, is where do you draw the line on what is the best for society and how much individual freedom and liberty people should have? And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's some people out there that say, well, the government should never tell somebody what to do. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, well, that makes you an anarchist, right? And then you can just go and kill people and take things for your own and amass your own stuff, right? And that's, Essentially. the world can't continue to turn if you operate that way. And then there's other people who say, well, this, you know, the second that, you know, we hand things over, then, you know, we're, it's 1984, right? They're going to, they're going to start limiting the language we can use, and they're going to start telling us what jobs we can work, and all this other when, thing. When, when we know that the reality, and I guess I use the word reality, even though we don't share it sometimes in this, in this culture, the, the, the reality of things is that it's going to be some of both. 
that that the utility of doing what's good for the many as opposed to the few, which is sort of being hinted at in here mm -hmm. too in a very odd way, is is uh, what leads to the the best result for the most wide range of people. That that goes back to the initial utilitarian view, uh, and. And if you don't want to do something because you don't want to, because you have the choice, but for the grand majority of every kind of people, it's the best choice. Well, then utilitarians will say, come on, get on board or just go have a coffee and settle down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, so. And that raises, um, you know, like it's sort of this parallel again, this mirror image of what we were talking about before where, you know, yeah, you watch a film and there's one Kim Valiant story arc, whereas a life has many. It's sort of the same thing with with philosophy and moral codes, right? Mm -hmm. There's nobody that's strictly a deontologist or a consequentialist or a utilitarian. In real life, you know, you look at a scenario and then you're weighing the balance between these sorts of things, right? And you're trying to come up with what makes sense. And that really is the central question of this issue is, Who's making that judgment of what makes sense? Who's That's, saying this is the correct amount of deontology, consequentialism, and utilitarian? Can I trust myself to make yep, that choice? Yep. Can I trust this group of people that I consider moral to make this choice? Or do we need an outside group to make that choice? Exactly. That's why it's, it's, it's the, the anchoring point for all of this. And, and, and it exudes this scene. The, the very fact that you must weigh to just leap in and say there's no discussion doesn't take lead in at anything. I'm right and you're wrong, so just go with me. No, not good enough. We have to weigh things. That won't be pretty. You're saying they'll come for me. We would protect you. Maybe Tony's right. If we have one hand on the wheel, we can still see her. Take it off. Aren't you the same woman who told the government to kiss her ass a few years ago? I'm just I'm reading the terrain. We have made some very public mistakes. We need to win their trust back. Focus up. So then here's another perspective, right? Natasha is not not really examining it from a moral standpoint like the rest of them, which makes sense given her background. But she's saying Listen, if we sign the accords, if we go along with this, at least we can continue to protect people and do what we're doing. If we choose not to abide by the accords, she's saying, I know where this is going, which is essentially we're all going to be scattered to the wind and we're not going to be able to effectively unite and combat a threat, mm -hmm. which is sort of what happens. It come, is sort of what you happens. know, come infinity war. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so another interesting point, and again, it, it it's coming from a, a standpoint that isn't moralistic um and it, it doesn't have to do with um that bigger question but it still is uh an important philosophical examination of their their situation absolutely so that pretty, pretty much concludes the the scene uh there's a witty take here at the end from tony all right did i just mishear you or did you agree with me oh i want to take it back no no, no you can't retract it thank you <laughs> <laughs> so as you see um you know it, there's some group dynamics in there, right? I think that what that tells us is on a regular basis, they probably have conflicts and discussions like this, and there's probably pretty clear 
party lines that are drawn and who takes what sides. And um, Natasha and Tony probably aren't on similar sides, which again, given their, their different backgrounds, you know, who they worked with, the, con you know, the consequences of their actions, it sort of makes sense that they'd have some different views. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a, this was a fun discussion. Uh, you know, I think there's, there's a lot there. I think that we, we got to a lot of it. There were some things where I, I, I know that I had it before the show and I thought this would be a good thing to bring up and I forgot. So I, <laughs> there's always more to bring up. That's the nature of the podcast is I'm sure that, you know, two or three or four episodes down the road, we'll be talking about something and I'll think, Oh, that was it. And then Let's we'll bring it back, back up. to this. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But until next time, keep pondering.